friends, and welcome to my Heart to Heart podcast. I am your host, Kathy Jo Hart. I am a Christian speaker and author of God's Chosen Helper. Our focus is to discuss the hot topics of the day and how it relates to the Bible and the lessons through the love of Christ. Today, I wanted to share a question I received this week about parental rights. The question was, I am a Christian mom of two daughters, ages 7 and 10. What can we do to keep our daughters safe from the negative social influences at school and to make sure we retain our parental authority with the school? This is a great question, but to answer this correctly, it is going to take me a while to lay out my response. I am a firm believer in keeping solutions simple, so this is my attempt at keeping it simple. We live in a very complex and confusing world, and whenever there are outside influences adding to the mix, the devil will do everything he can to distract us. As long as we remember who the real enemy is, we already know how to defeat him. Just like when Peter saw Jesus walk on the water in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33, Peter got out of the boat to walk to Jesus, and as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he did not sink. But Peter became distracted by the wind, and as a result, he took his eyes off Jesus and became afraid, and then he began to sink. And Peter cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Fear and doubt are tactics used by the devil. He will distract us with unbelievable challenges and disappointments. But as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, faith will overcome fear and doubt. And as a family, keeping our eyes on Jesus requires a constant and consistent relationship with him. Now, how do we keep our eyes on Jesus on a daily basis when the outside influences of work, school, friends, and extracurricular activities keeps us in a constant cycle of distractions? Well, here are six ways to help keep your family aligned with Jesus. Number one, remember that Christ is the ultimate head of the family. Number two, invest in your marriage. Your relationship as husband and wife will affect your children and your grandchildren. So make your home a marriage-centered home. Number three, this is for the dads out there. Do not become an absentee father. Attend church as a family. Be a role model for your sons and daughters. When you are home, be present. Teach your children to respect their mother and each other. Show them what honor looks and feels like. Do you know why this is so important? Because if your children are accustomed to honor, they will not get into relationships with people who do not honor them. Number four, 
Remember what scripture says about parenting in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This means that God commands parents to live together in the body of Christ and to reflect the character of Christ. When scripture says children are to obey their parents in everything and parents are not to embitter their children, this means obedience is never to be outside of Christ. Parents are to be the role models to show their children how to love, to honor, and serve God. And as it says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. When you speak over your children, you are prophesying over them. Never speak unfairly or harshly over your child as this can crush a child's spirit. Make sure your words are of God's prophetic gift and not of demonic prophecies. And number five, worship as a family seven days a week. Pray together. Pray for each other. Allow the children to pray for you. Let your children see how you manage a bad day at work or how you manage disappointment. Read the Bible together. Find age-appropriate Bible stories and allow your children to share these stories with you. Let them know that it is okay to make a mistake and to show them how to forgive. And number six, eat dinner together at home. Remove all distractions of cell phones or television. Engage in conversations. Make it fun and enjoyable. The psychological benefits are huge. You'll have better nutrition and kids are less likely to have depression and will have higher self-esteem. It helps establish positive traditions and happy memories. It helps kids develop self-confidence when ideas are shared and parents are in the know of homework and what is happening at school. Create a team effort when clearing the table and doing the dishes. Don't allow your children to hide out in their rooms isolated from other family members. Support one another. And this is very important. Remove all cell phones and other computer distractions from all sleeping quarters. Seriously, never allow your child to bring their cell phone to bed. And as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 to 9, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them onto your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The Bible really is an excellent instruction manual on how to have a relationship with God and how to manage relationships with other people. But we live in a society that eliminated God from our culture. And Paul warned us about becoming adjusted to culture in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But it was culture that influenced the New Age philosophy of relationships, specifically the parent-child relationship designed by Dr. Benjamin Spock in 1946. Dr. Spock's child-centered parenting demanded the best for children, but not necessarily the best from children, and that physical possessions increased happiness. He believed a child should not feel deprived. While he was known for his stance on nurturing children, he placed this almost exclusively on mothers. He was also very politically active and combined his profession of being a physician with politics, just like it is today. His admiration of Dr. Sigmund Freud influenced his child-rearing advice through a psychoanalytical theory lens. It is believed that Dr. Spock's child-centered philosophy taught instant gratification for the child, thus creating confusion between want and need. We can see 80 years later, his untested philosophies have created generations of children and adults that have been groomed since birth to put themselves first. And by doing so, has created unrealistic childhood expectations, inflated expectations of adulthood, entitlement, self-importance, and materialism. The end results? Statistics show a continuous increase in anxiety and depression since the beginning of Dr. Spock's child-centered rearing model. Although there have been multiple updated versions of Dr. Spock's baby and childcare books throughout the years, it is still being used as a guide to parenting. Secular self-help books have become a multi-billion dollar industry, and we continue to see these flawed philosophies in our secular-based culture today. One example of this is how 100-plus years of peer-reviewed research, testing, and clinical data of transgenderism were thrown out and eliminated in 2013 when the World Health Organization got involved in our healthcare system. The mental health disorders of transgenderism, sexual fetishes, and other paraphilias were quickly replaced by pseudoscience of emotions and language. It is using linguistics to coerce compliance, and now it looks like Democrat-controlled state legislatures are trying to make the misuse of language of a transgendered identity to be a felony offense. The Michigan House of Representatives passed Bill HB 4474 that criminalizes causing someone to feel threatened by words. 
Those who intentionally use the wrong gender pronouns can face a felony charge that carries either up to a five-year prison sentence or up to a fine of $10,000. Sexual orientation and gender identity or expression is now a protected class in Michigan. This bill heads to the Republican-majority state Supreme Court, where hopefully it will not pass. But an announcement through the Michigan State Supreme Court has just passed a resolution approving the use of they pronouns in judicial cases. Uh, We are on a slippery slope when the misuse of grammatical language becomes law. California State Assembly passed Bill AB 957. This is a bill that has the ability to eliminate custody or visitation rights of parents who do not conform to gender ideology in custody disputes. So if a parent refuses to affirm their child's identity, it will be considered a violation of health, safety, and welfare in the context of custody disputes. Now, just ask yourself this question. How many custody disputes will use this as abuse claims to hurt the other parent? You know it's going to happen. In fact, this bill would open the door to expanding the family law boundary into criminal law territory. Just like in Michigan, these bills are irresponsible and dangerous. The California bill has also wanted to make California a haven for out-of-state minors wanting to obtain sex changes without their parents' consent. I mean, this is pure evil on steroids. Parental rights are being targeted, and people really don't know what to do about it. Now, the Bible warns us about trusting human nature. Secularism promotes putting self first, yet refuses to address the true pressures of standing alone and the crippling disappointments when life doesn't work out the way you want or planned. This is where we have to stop looking for secular ways in solving this problem and go directly to the Bible to discover the answers. Just as the Bible provides solutions for marriage and parenting problems, the Bible also has stories of similar situations and how these problems were solved through the church. The book of Titus is an excellent example. Now, Titus traveled with Paul and was considered a trusted fellow worker in Christ. While Paul sat in prison, he instructed Titus to go to Crete because the churches there were way off track. Some of the churches were using lies and slander as religious doctrine that had nothing to do with Jesus or his teachings. Cretans were known as liars, treacherous, violent, greedy, and sexual corruption. Keep in mind, Crete was the birthplace for the Greek god Zeus, and Greek mythology was still very strong within their culture. As Titus chapter 1 verse 10 and 11 says, 
for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and for dishonest gain. So basically, the religious Greek Jewish ministers were demanding non-Jewish parishioners to be circumcised as a requirement of the church. The church would make money in this endeavor, and obviously this was never a condition of the church, and Titus was instructed to eliminate the Jewish myths that rejected the truth. Just as the culture is influencing young women of today, the Cretan women no longer wanted to marry or to have children. Titus chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, it says, To those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and conscience are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Now, Titus had his hands full because culturally the church had lost its way and the members rejected Jesus' teachings because of the lies and the myths. So what did Titus do? He revamped the church. He placed elders in the church with men who were blameless, husband to one wife, and their children were believers and not disobedient. Blameless meant men who were not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, and not pursuing dishonest gain. He taught the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Older women were to be reverent in the way they lived, not to be slanderers, but to teach what is good. They were to train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Titus had to teach them to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live life self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. To encourage and rebuke with all authority and not let anyone despise them. Now what he meant by this was the church needed to stop trying to conform or assimilate to the cultural way of life. Just look at what the churches are trying to do today. How many churches are compromising God's word to appease cultural demands? Titus emphasized God's love and his word as truth and faithfulness. He didn't preach prosperity, nor did he change the meaning of God's word. God does not compromise, even if culture and governments demands it. Just look at where we are today in our culture. It really isn't that much different than what Titus had to deal with. 
same sin, same devilish ways, same attitudes towards the church. Women were no longer getting married and having children. The condition of circumcision was a way to make money by forcing compliance. The churches of yesterday and those of today are still struggling with how to deal with it. Churches today are afraid of teaching self-control, temperate, unwilling to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and pleasures. And the churches are declining, not because of God, not because God has been proven not to exist, but because the church is no longer providing sound doctrine of teaching, of preaching, of healing, and deliverance. The church has to stop limiting the power of the blood of Christ. How many Christians fully understand the authority they have through the Holy Spirit? I can tell you, not many. We have the power through the blood of Christ to stop this. I am beginning to wonder how many churches are even willing to stand firm on true doctrine to teach this. God has provided knowledge and wisdom throughout the Bible. We need to bring the Bible back into the world of education. Here is something many of you may not know. Archaeologists use the Bible as the gold standard for their research. Let's just say it this way. Archaeologists have been unable to disprove anything in the Bible. Archaeology has instead proven the accuracies within the Bible. So why aren't we teaching the Bible in schools? Because the governing bodies do not want anything to compete with their own power of authority. Now, as we close this podcast, I would like for you to read and study Luke chapter 11, verse 9, to understand how we are to approach our relationship and our prayer life with God. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. But this doesn't mean God will automatically give us anything we want. It means he will graciously meet the needs of those who believe in him. Without God, without Jesus, we will continue to be directionless and subject to fear, anger, anxiety, impatience, condemnation, intolerance, unforgiveness, and confusion. For those who are confused about their identity, the true discovery of who you are can only be found in Christ Jesus. And for those who are concerned about retaining parental authority in the schools, you must first learn about the authority God has given all of us found in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus told us, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
my question to you is, are you prepared to fight against the evil that is among us? Because the battle we are fighting is spiritual warfare, and we need to be ready. And we can only do this through the authority of the name and the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.